you take your Bibles and to meet me at Mark chapter 2. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 23 to Mark chapter 3, verse 6, while we stand as we honor His Word together. Again, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, going to Mark chapter 3, verse 6, turning a gift into a burden into a gift again, uh, how Jesus came to be Lord of the Sabbath. I hope this will be of help to you this morning. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as he made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he, being Jesus, said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the name of in the time rather of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful to do on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. May God add his blessing to his holy and perfect word. You may be seated. I'm going to ask you a question, and I, I want you to really think through your answer. How much do you need to be in control? All right? Don't look at the person next to you. I'm not asking them. I'm asking you. How much do you have to be, need to be, in control? Um, I, I'm always benefiting from commentaries. Um, I try to do my own work. I try to cook my own groceries and such. But I, I, I always benefit from commentaries. And what I loved about a commentary from Kent Hughes, who for a long time was pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, he kept referring to these encounters that Jesus had with the Pharisees as collisions. And they really were. They weren't necessarily, a, obviously, a collision like we would have a car or a collision that would be like on a football field. But it was a collision of ideas. It was a collision of worldviews. It was a collision of who is really in control. We see this in any group that we are a part of, that there may be one or two people that may just have to be in control. That Things have to go their way. And if it doesn't go exactly that way, then what can happen is we can leverage things to think that not only are they disobeying us, but in reality, because we are truly in control and we are God's gift to whoever we come across, that we're actually would be ending up disobeying God. But the earliest creed for us as a church, the earliest creed that came, came out was a three-word creed. You know what it was? Jesus is Lord. That's power-packed. Jesus, our Savior, that's what that word Jesus means, is, 
is, right now, is, not was, not will be, is Lord. That means he's in control. And in fact, in in 1 Corinthians 12, 2 and 3, it says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And when we become Christians, we're going to get all the Holy Spirit that we're ever going to get. What needs to be kicked out is things as far as our flesh. The, the world, the flesh, the devil needs to be kicked out of us. So the Spirit will and must uh, reign full and free. But even as Christians, we wrestle with being in control. We want things to go our way, and we want things to go in our timing. James talks about that, that you know, no one should ever say, you know, should ever, when you make a plan, you should always say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. The apostles got in trouble. Not sim- And Mike Winger, he said this. I want to give credit where credit's due. Mike Winger said this, and I, I agree with him on this, that the apostles didn't t- get in trouble for telling people Jesus is good. The apostles got in trouble for saying that Jesus is Lord. That's where they got in trouble. Because they wanted to be in control. Everybody that Jesus came across had this idea, I know how to run my life. I know how to do this. I know how to do this, especially the religious folks. The only ones that didn't were ones who were going through such physical and spiritual and demonic turmoil, they knew they weren't in control. And so that's why they were so well received by Jesus. But some of us, we may have had a hard time receiving Jesus because we just believed that we were more than capable of running our lives. And the fact is, God will always, in his kindness and his mercy and his goodness and his ability and his faithfulness, will bring you to a point where you say, I don't have it. And then he'll bring you to a further point to say, I know who on who does. That's why Jesus is our rock. He's fixed. He's unchangeable. And he's unchanging. That's where we were. Now, I go into all of this. You're saying, what does this have to do with what we're talking about here? Because this is where Jesus is coming along as Lord, talking to people who felt they were Lord. They felt they were in control. Jesus and the apostles were breaking their laws. Jesus, the lawgiver, was being accused of breaking their law. And so Jesus' law over and against man's law, man's traditions, man's wanting to be in control... You know, and there, there's, that, there's that old song. I remember Ella Fitzgerald singing this. When an irresistible force meets an immovable object. You know how that finishes? Something's got to give. And it's not going to be man. It's going to have to be man-made traditions and those rituals that were being put out here. And, and the, the, the topic for the morning for them was the Sabbath. Now, let's take a look at this. And first of all, let's talk about a little bit about what the Sabbath is. Because when we talk about it, and, and in a lot of our Baptist confessions, and a lot of our Baptist statement of faith, you're not going to see the word Sabbath mentioned a lot. You may. But more often, you're going to see the Lord's Day mentioned. 
That's the same deal. At least that's how we operate. That's not how everybody operates, but I think it's important for us to understand. So what is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, the fourth out of ten. So it made the top ten. That's significant, right? All of those commandments talk about the first table of the commandments or talk about how we worship God. The second table is how we worship or how we live with each other, rather, in that worship of God. It's in, it's kind of in the vapor trail of that. That second tablet is in the vapor trail of the first. And so it's talking about in Exodus 20, 8 to 11. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go old school and actually turn there, right? So Exodus chapter 20 in verses 8 to 11. Listen to what it says about the Sabbath, because some of the commandments, it's like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then there's some commands that have some explanation. This is important. Remember Exodus 20, verse 8, in case you, I didn't tell you where I was, but that's where I am now. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Yes, six days. Hear what's being said. God made it in six days. Right? Days mean days. Amen? All right. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God, so God is working on, in, in six days, we're going to talk about it a little bit, did, did God need the rest? I will say, I will submit to you that not only did God need, not need the rest, but we certainly did not want God to rest because there are some there, there, there's some implications to that. But what we end up calling it is the Lord's Day. What we, the reason is, is is because we worship on Sunday rather than the seventh or the Sabbath is because it is a reminder for us that Jesus rose on the first day. And that's important for us. Now, some would say, well, why don't you worship on the seventh day? The Sabbath is the holy. But that's where we get into Colossians two sixteen and 17 where it says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to the festival or noon moon or a, you want to guess what the next word is if you didn't look it up? Sabbath. There are, they are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So all of those things that are mentioned in the Old Testament that are listed off by the Apostle Paul, who was a sharp student of the Old Testament, is showing that all of those things that were set in place were set in place as a shadow to talk about the reality and the substance of things to come, which is Christ. That's why we look at this and we say, we recognize the Sabbath, but we also observe this rest on the first day because of the rest that Christ provided us rescuing us from the burden of trying to work toward salvation to now we're finding our rest in Christ. And we'll actually spend more time on that talking about it next week. But when we talk about this, the question is, do you see the Sabbath as a burden? Oh, I got to get everything done six days so I can just chill on the seventh, chill in Jesus' name on the seventh. Or do we see it as something that's a joy? What Jesus is trying to do is to rescue the Sabbath from these folks who are taking it as a burden. It was initially given as a gift, as a day to, to rest from your labors, not to rest from everything because there's going to be things that are going to need to be done. There's going to be things that are going to need to be done. 
But he's saying rest from the stuff that doesn't need to be done right now so that you can rest in me and and see the rest that I have provided for you in creation. So now as we get to this, so Jesus here now in verse 23 is going through the grain fields. So Jesus is going through the grain fields and they're hungry. This happens to be on the Sabbath. Jesus makes no mistakes, by the way. Seven of the miracles that he did were on the Sabbath. And they were all sorts of miracles that he did because what he's trying to do, he's trying to prove a point to the religious leaders. You are taking something good that I have given to you and you are putting this as a burden on my people and I'm going to take it back and show what kind of a gift this is. And so you look, if you would, so they're plucking heads of grain. And there's actually, in Deuteronomy 23, 25, it says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, and you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So if you're walking through and you're hungry, God has made a provision that you can eat something from that. The problem that the Pharisees had was their rules meant more than somebody else's need. Is that the case with you? Is that the case with our churches? We spend, we, we spend so much time getting these rules set. Or maybe in your home, you, sp- you spend so much time getting these rules set, and they're rules, and those rules keep us together, and those rules keep us on, on track and everything. Yeah, but I got something that's really going on. I can, oh, this is a rule. And we end up looking at our rules that, that help us to keep in control and impose them on people and not be able to see what the actual needs are that they're dealing with. And that's what's going on here. Um, Jewish tradition stated that there were 39 acts that were strictly forbidden on the Sabbath. So Moses prohibited work on the Sabbath. This is Warren Wearsby now. Moses prohibited work on the Sabbath, but he did not give many specifics um, it was wrong to kindle a fire for cooking, to gather fuel, uh, and that was in Numbers 15, to carry burdens, Jeremiah 17, or transact business, Nehemiah 10, 13, 19, verse 19. But Jewish tradition went into detail, and even more, the people were informed about how far they could travel. So there, a Sabbath day journey was 1,999 steps. You, com- you take that 2,000 step, which is about a half mile, a little over a half mile. You take that 2,000 step, suddenly you were violating their law. And so the disciples were walking around, and they weren't keeping the clicker, right? They were just walking around as if they could just walk around however far they wanted to walk around. And they were, they were harvesting because that was illegal in there. And they were harvesting. Plucking grain is harvesting I'm not harvesting, I just want to eat something. I'm hungry. And so what Jesus does, he shows them and exposes that their particular rules were starting to mean more than Scripture. In fact, they were starting to study their rules more than they were studying Scripture. And Jesus, who is the giver of Scripture, who is the giver of the law, is reminding them about something that took place in 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 to 6. So when he's talking about this in verse 29, have you never read what David did? Now, to the, to the Pharisees, I'd be like, well, that's a dumb question. Of course we've read. Look how much we've studied. See all those letters behind my name. Of course we've read it. And it's a, it's a reminder that there is a difference between reading and reading. 
five-day Bible reading plan. You got the check. I read it. Did you read it? Did it read you? That's the idea. And so in 1 Samuel uh, 21, verses 1 to 6, let me get this before you. And it says, then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have, I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now give, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but here's the holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. That's a serious, that would be a serious violation, but the priest saw that there was a need that David had as he was on a journey for the, for the living God. Yeah, we want you to make sure that your need is met so that you could continue on with your journey. And so there is no bread but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord is to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. And so that meant a lot to the Pharisees making sure you're keeping the rules. Hey, he's like, hey guys, remember that rule? That God said, you know, you meet the needs of those who are on mission for the Lord. You keep doing that. And it says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, so that's point number one. That's, that's, that's example, I should say, number one about the Sabbath. But now it's starting to get ratcheted up in chapter three. And so in chapter three, you see that they were entering the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. As you read this passage, who are the Pharisees watching? Jesus. And they were watching Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to see if Jesus was going to keep their rule. They weren't watching the the guy with the withered hand. They had so gotten focused on their rules and how things were to be done, they had lost all sense of seeing needs that were right in their midst. And this is where we end up getting into a, a serious thing, and it's, it's helping us to reflect. It's helping us to reflect on some of these things. So Jesus comes along, and you know, they're, they're looking to accuse him. That's the motive. That's, their, that's, the, that's the topic for the day. How can we find a, a way to accuse Jesus? Not to see how we can get into the word. Not to see how we can encourage people in the faith. We're going to find a way to trap this guy because he's making us look bad, and he's not following our rules. And so Jesus, in verse 3, he says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now, every so often when there is a political thing that is going on and sometimes there's some questioning that is going on, there is a fear that if you say an answer a certain way, either way you go, that the other side is going to come after you. You know, could you imagine if they had Twitter back then or social media? You know, Oh, you won't believe what Jesus said. You know, reshare, reshare, retweet, retweet, boom. And it's just, but, but see, Jesus, what Jesus here did 
was basically along the same line. They couldn't believe that Jesus actually said something like this because if he asks a question like that and we answer one way or the other, then they're either going to give validity to Jesus and make themselves look bad. Well, they're going to give the validity to Jesus or make themselves look bad. That's really the only option. And so that's why they stayed silent. They could not, even though they knew what the answer was, they knew what the answer was. They knew the implications of the Sabbath is that you still take care of needs. Because let's get back to the, 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 the creation work. What would happen if God had said on the seventh day, I'm not going to work anymore. Let me show you the implications of that in Colossians 1 verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, we got it. Everything was created through God for God. And he is before things, before all things, and then this last part. In him all things what? Hold together. So what would happen if God decided, I'm not going to work today? What would happen if God had said, I'm not going to hold all things together today? If that were to happen for one nanosecond, everything would just be consumed. So God's still working. God still works on the seventh day to provide for us so that we are able to have some sort of rest and it may surprise you, I'm going to quote Spurgeon, but I, when I was reading something, Spurgeon said this, and because some people were saying, well, why were, would Jesus heal? And that's what the Pharisees were saying, was, is Jesus actually going to do work and heal somebody on the Sabbath day? Because there would be rabbis that were around, and those rabbis would basically say, you do not make visits to someone that's in trouble, that's doing, that's having some physical issues, because that is work for you on that day. If you have something that needs to be done along that line, then you wait till the next day or some other day, but not that day. So they were thinking, this is work. Meeting needs and helping people, this is work, and I'm going to put it off. And Spurgeon says this, the Sabbath day was a day of rest, and Christ did not break his rest by his miracles, for he was God, and so it was rest to him to do good. It was rest for Christ to provide rest for the demoniac that was dealing on that Sabbath day. It was rest for Christ to rescue someone from the burden of that withered hand. And on and on and on, Christ is showing that it's rest to do good, not work. It is a joy to do good and to meet needs. It's not a burden to us. Right? I hope you know that not just in theory, but in practice. Because aren't there times that people are going to come to us and have an actual need that needs to be met that we can meet? And care that needs to be demonstrated that we can, whether it is sitting beside someone who is dying in a hospital room or someone that needs a meal or you may hear a little something in somebody's conversation that may be giving something off like there is something significantly going on. And your antenna goes up. And you begin to explore that conversation. Okay, what's going on? That's, and some people are like, I don't know if I want to get in somebody's life like that. 
Could you imagine if Christ had done that? Oh, I've seen all the stuff that's going on in the world. I don't want to get in the middle of that. What if he hadn't? And where would we be? But he did. And he lives in us. And we're still here. And so he uses us to write that letter of encouragement. He uses us to go and deliver that meal. He uses us just to have that conversation of saying, how are you doing and actually meaning it? Even on the Sabbath, we don't rest from doing good. We, our rest is the doing good because Jesus gave us that rest. And in fact, I was going to talk about that from Hebrews 3 and 4, but I'm going to save that for next week because I want us to see that the reason that this is so vital for us is that in Hebrews 3 and 4, it talks about how Jesus Christ himself is our Sabbath rest. Think about before you came to Christ and that, and that time where you were wondering how you could be right with God. Now, for some of you, that period may have been very quick. Some of you, it may have been a long time. Again, Spurgeon got him on my mind. We're we'll talking about him next week over at Calvary at Inglewood. And he spent from the age of 10 to 15 trying to figure out how to be right with God. He knew what the Bible said, but the penny hadn't dropped. And he was trying to figure it out. For five years, he was trying to figure it out. And, and, and in the midst of that, and what kind of a burden that is. And how do you get out of it? Well, if I do this and I do good stuff and I say the right things and even read my Bible, even I pray, but, and then one day God just lifts it and your religion becomes not a burden to avoid, but a delight to run to. Christ becomes that burden. He's no longer that burden that's pressing heavy on you. Will you come? Will you repent? And then he rescues us. And suddenly, whoa, and you can't explain. It's like trying to explain how chocolate tastes. You have to taste it to know it. And so Jesus ends up laying into the Pharisees later on, Matthew 23, when he lays down those woes, where he talks about how the Pharisees are tying up heavy burdens hard to bear. And they lay on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their own finger. Matthew 23, 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's a wrong type of reproduction. We don't want to reproduce people that are trying to follow our rules. We want to try to reproduce people that are disciples of Jesus that are following his way. And his way is easy. His burden is light. Because he's there to carry it with us. We're not alone. We're not alone. Matthew 12, verses 11 and 12, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? Well, that sheep was there to help them do what they wanted to do. That man has nothing to do with me. Yes, he does, because we're all fellow image bearers of God. And if we remember from Genesis 4, am I my brother's keeper? Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? You better believe it, you're your brother's keeper. You're absolutely your brother's keeper. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, love one another. Over and over, that drumbeat, that rhythm in the scriptures, we are to love one another. They will know you're my disciples if you love one another. We don't take God's law 
make it our rule and make it as an excuse not to care about people. Our rules don't mean anything in comparison to the needs that other people may have. That's what we have to see. So as we think about our time together, do you see the Sabbath? Do you see it as a burden? Or do you see it as a joy? Other side of the coin, do we even observe the Lord's Day at all? I know we come here, but there sure is a lot of activity on TV that's a lot of fun. I, I love watching. I love watching football. So I'm having to ask myself these questions as well, right? So there's a lot of things. Do you do we observe the Lord's Day at all? COVID has actually kept people who could be coming not from not coming anymore. And I would say to those, if there's no sickness or anything, or it's just a flat out choice, and everybody's healthy, and it's just a flat out choice, are you taking something that is so basic in our in our walk with Christ as going to church and hearing the word and encouraging each other. We're not consumers, we're contributors. We have to be sure that we are really following through on what God has given us on the Lord's day. Are you threatened by someone when someone suggests something that affects your turf? Pharisees were. Sadly, some people in, in church world are like that as well. I mean, growing up, if you were sitting in someone's seat, that's a pro- that was a problem. That was a problem. I have stories, but I won't tell them. We have to be careful. I mean, it could be actual legitimate turf like a seat or just the way things are done. Do you have a problem when someone does that? Um, how do you spend your, the, your Lord's Day? How do you do that? Is it a day of rest for you? And I believe that if there are things that need to be, need to be done for the, the, the moving of the household, and, and I think he gives us freedom to be able to, to do that. I think there's an aspect of that, but we have to make sure that we are taking time and, and, and taking time to rest and have those Sabbaths. But do you realize, do you, here's really where it comes down to, is the word of God sufficient for you? Or is it not enough and you've got to add rules? What you're basically saying is, God, your word is just not enough, but I got it from here. I'll help you out. Let's go. He's, he is enough to give us everything that we need. And that's why, if you consider this as we close our time, the Pharisees, it says they went out immediately and took counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. That would be like Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi coming together against a common enemy. That's how far apart they were. These two groups hated each other. But you know what they shared in common? A hatred for Jesus. And they would end up working together to try to destroy him. They had gone, gone so far gone. They had gotten so far gone that they were going to be like, I don't care what it is, we'll put all of these differences aside because this guy is not following our rules. He is undermining our authority. He's got to go. And you say, how terrible that is. You may be living your life like that right now. I want to live my life the way I want. Jesus, No. No, I want you to be silenced. I want you to be gone, and that's it. 
And where is that going to leave you? Rejecting the creator and redeemer and sustainer of the earth for what? Your life's so great? Your life is so great that you would reject the one who has promised to come and rescue you and redeem you and to give you life. As we pray, I pray that you would just really truly ask yourself, do I have to be in control? If you do, that I pray that the Holy Spirit, I can't do anything. I'm just, I deliver the mail. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and make you realize without a shadow of a doubt who is in control. Jesus is Lord. It's not Jesus is Lord whether you believe it or not. Jesus is Lord. It. And his, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Come all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he will give you rest. That's what we need. And we can have it in Christ. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ being our Sabbath. Father, I pray that as we continue to move forward in what you've called us to do, Lord, there's, there's things in our life that we have just set up and we've, we've moved our life, we've, we've geared our life all around these rules that we've set up for ourselves that we believe are going to make us happy. And little by little, Lord, I believe that you show us how they don't measure up. But here is your word that does. Help us, Lord, to realize who's not in control and to be able to find the freedom of ceding that control over to you and saying, Lord, take it. I don't want you being my co-pilot. Run it. Take it. Take me where you'd have me to go. And Lord, if we have rules in our lives or in our institutions, even in our churches, that undermine anything that you are doing, I pray, Father, you would make us aware of it so that we would move in the direction you'd have us to go. Guide us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to see that your word is enough to show us that Jesus is more than enough. And if there's anyone here that this is the morning that they want to publicly say, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is my Lord. I want to turn from all that I am to all that he is. I want to confess my sin, repent, and to be rescued from my brokenness, my deadness, to serve and to love the living God through Jesus Christ. May this be the morning. Help us, Lord, in all that we do and say. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a hymn that is a wonderful hymn.